Hello, welcome to the St. Paul's Podcast, where you'll find talks from our Sunday services. For more information, feel free to check out our website, stpauls.co.uk. Thank you. Well, good evening. If we haven't met before, I'm uh, Harry, as Lizzie said. Uh, I'm the curate here at St. Barnabas. Uh, St. Barnabas? I'm so used to saying St. Barnabas. I'm the curate here at St. Paul's and also work at St. Barnabas, which is our kind of partner church in Epsom that we're hoping to become one parish with in due course. Do come along to the uh, Find Out More events over the next few weeks to find out more. But this evening we are in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible near you, which I know you do, uh, do grab a Bible and flick uh, to page 1176, unless it's not a church Bible, uh, and then you might want to flick to another page, or turn a Bible on on your phone, because uh, I think it's going to be really helpful for us to have this passage in front of us. This passage is a passage that speaks of our relationships within the household. Uh, the household in biblical times being not just uh, father, son, husband, wife, daughter, but, but would have been a, a whole collection of servants and um, extended family, widows who people might have chosen to look after. And in this passage, a few of those relationships are covered in a kind of Christian approach to that. And undergirding it all is this verse 21, which we're going to come to later. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Christian life could be described as one of submission to our family, to our friends, to our Christian brothers and sisters, and to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. So where we need to start this morning couldn't be more obvious. With a hidden prop I planted earlier, we need to start on the golf course where you'll often find me on a Friday afternoon hitting balls in the wrong direction and trying not to swear. And you might think, why on earth are we on the golf course? Well, I think that sometimes I get some golfing lessons from God. But they're not about my swing. They're not about my golf game. You see, sometimes when I'm going around pretending to play golf, I think I'm going to try and connect with God here. I'm going to use it as a time to pray and, and to think. And Lord, speak to me as I go around. And I've got a few stories that I wanted to share with you. I once lined up a shot and hit it just as I wanted to. And I saw it flying towards the, the hole, which is where you're meant to be if you're not familiar with golf. And it was sailing through the air. I thought, oh, I've done a good one here. And to my dismay, it landed 30, year, 30 years, 30 yards too far down the back of the green and into the assorted hedgerow. Venturing into the hedgerow, I hit the best chip I could, and this chip was rubbish. It bobbled and bounced and almost mocked me as it went across the green and stopped just next to the hole. And I thought, isn't life like that sometimes? You do things and you think you've got it all right, and yet it all goes wrong. And yet sometimes you do something that you really didn't intend to do, but it kind of turns out quite well. 
On another occasion, you're starting to learn quickly about the nature of my golf game, I found myself in more undergrowth. And I thought, well, this is going terribly. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. It felt like a rainy, cold day. And uh, miracles do happen because I hit a good shot. And this shot flew out of the bush, landed on the green, and stopped by the hole. And suddenly there were blue skies and birds tweeting, and it was a lovely day. I was having a whale of a time. I didn't want to go home. And how often does one thing, one circumstance in life change, and suddenly a terrible position where all hope is lost is turned into a, a, a moment of hope, of happiness. One last story for you. I'd made it to the green. It would take me half an hour, but I was there. And I hit my putt, and I lined it up where I thought it was meant to go. And on a rare occasion, I hit it in the right direction. But to my dismay, instead of curling to the left as I thought it would to get into the hole, it, it, it curved to the right and went further away from the hole. Oh, that's rubbish, right. Okay. So I walked over to where it was. And of course, lo and behold, when I stood on this side, I could see there was a great big slope that I couldn't see from where I was before. How, how often do we need a bit of perspective in life? How often does seeing the situation in the right way give us the perspective we need? See, one thing can teach us about another. Isaac Newton learnt this when an apple allegedly fell on his head as he was sat beneath an um, uh, apple tree. And that was the day gravity was invented. I, I don't know how things stayed on the earth before that day, but apparently they did. And things teach us about other things, right? But sometimes we need to be more intentional. You see, my golf game's not very good, so I have to do different drills, and I have to practice getting in the right position, and, and I have to make myself do weird things so that when I come and do something else, I've learned what I need to do. I've learned about the nature of golf. And I promised... Well, I didn't promise, actually, but I should have. I promised golf would come back to the passage eventually. What we find in these words are lessons for us that teach us the nature of God. How we order our household relationships isn't just because God wants us to have household relationships in a certain way. It's because he teaches us about who he is through everything we do. The way you relate to your spouse the way you go to the pub with your friends. Whatever you do, if we're intentional about it, it can teach us and it can teach others about who God is. Because we've all been there, right? We feel bemused, confused and distant from God. We think, Lord, you say you're my friend why don't you just come and have a chat with me then? My other friends, I can bring up and say how you're doing, but I can't do that with you. And I know you've given us the Bible, Lord, but sometimes I don't understand it. And Lord, you've given us prayer but, and the Holy Spirit, but sometimes 
I don't always feel it. Perhaps you sometimes feel like your faith and your life are out of sync or you feel a distance from God. Well, good news. Because I think what we're talking about tonight can really help us with that. If you've ever thought, Lord, I just want a hug from you. Lord, I just want to sit down with you and ask you this question. If you've been there, I wouldn't be surprised because I have time and time again. So my hope this evening is that we're encouraged by how living a life as God orders it shows us truth in action. And I hope also we're, we wrestle with how we order our lives because of who Jesus is and what he's like. Because how we live is important. Come with me to Ephesians, this letter uh, to the churches in Ephesus, which was a bustling city in the Roman Empire. And Paul wrote it. And have a look at the start of chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is where this kind of book changes the last few chapters. Really three chapters focus on how we live as Christians. Verse uh, verse 2 of chapter 5, turn over the page. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Our, Our passage from last week. Be careful then how you live, verse 15 of verse 5. Look how you walk, as one translation puts it. How we live is important. Why? Because as we've said, we will learn about God because of how we live, and others will learn about how God. The world will learn because who remembers the crazy gang of the 80s and 90s, the very recently departed John Motson coined that phrase about the Wimbledon football team of the 80s and 90s who played with a thuggish attitude. They were boisterous. New uh, teammates would be strapped to a car naked and driven down the A3. It was absolute carnage. And Gary Lineker said the best way to watch Wimbledon is on CFAX. We may not remember CFAX. I just about remember it. Um, It was all text, no pictures, no videos. It was just text. It would have said Wimbledon 1, Liverpool 0, that famous FA Cup final. And if we watch that, we think Wimbledon are a, a normal team. They're doing well in the league. They're winning matches. We see them on the pitch, and we see a whole other story. We see the way they live. We see the nature and the culture and who they are and the values that they live by. The world was educated about what the crazy gang were like, not because they read the stuff, but because they saw what they were like. And we'll learn about God because of how we live. We will. We've had the BAFTAs and the Oscars. No, we didn't have the Oscars. What did we have? We've had all sorts of awards recently, haven't we? The Grammys. And some of these actors do something called method acting, which is where they spend time getting to know the person. I'm playing Paul Diva in Paul Diva's biopic, from rags to clergy shirts, coming to a cinema near you. And I spend time with Paul Diva. I get to know him. I want to embody him on screen so that you know what he's like. I need to, in order to live like Paul Diva, I need to know him. I need to shave my head, Paul says. 
to embody Jesus. We need to live as he says. To understand Paul, I need to do things the way he does them. Because if I do them the way I do them, but then go, well, why would Paul do that? I don't understand. If I think like Paul, if I look like Paul, I understand his way of thinking. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. This statement we want to embody here at St. Paul's to do that. We need to know what Jesus is like. We need to live as he says. And as we do that, we learn who he is. Life with Jesus touches every corner of our life. Paul was talking about compartmentalization a few weeks ago. That God encompasses all of us. And in this passage... Paul talks about marriage, about husbands and wives. He talks about parenting, kids and their parents and how they're meant to be. And he talks about masters and slaves. This is in verse, uh, chapter 6 now. And I'm going to be honest. As I was preparing this, there are three sermons here. And I thought, we don't want to be here till Tuesday, so I'm not going to give you three sermons. We're going to focus on uh, the marriage bit, because I think that's where Paul spends his time. But if you want to hear more about um, parenting or uh, uh, masters and slaves, there's many, many podcasts. And as a point of reference, very quickly, the Bible does not condone slavery. This bit doesn't. Other bits in the Old Testament I could point you to where slave trading, mistreating slaves, it, it never condones it. And in fact, the ref reformers of the slave trade, many of whom were Christian, but we haven't got time to go into that in detail tonight. So we're going to focus on verses 20 or 21 to 33. Let me read them to you. So we're always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. <laughs> husbands, love your wives. What a challenge. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
Note, most of the emphasis, I think, is talking about Christ and the church. Yes, we're going to be talking about what a, a marital relationship looks like, but I think Paul wants us to focus on Christ and the church because did you know we are engaged? You got your ring on? Is it shiny and sparkly? We are currently involved in a divine marriage. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. We are wrapped up in this divine marriage. The church, God's bride, and Jesus, the groom. Holy, the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. That sparkling jewel of the seal of the promise of what's to come. And heaven will be the consummation, the party where we celebrate our marriage at last. And our marriage into eternity with Jesus. Blokes. We might be wearing a dress. I don't know. You'll have to ask a better theologian than me. Earthly marriage isn't the ultimate marriage. Marriage never fully satisfies because there is a better one to come. And we can be guilty of pedestaling marriage in our society. We offer it as a solution to problems. And I think sometimes we play the benefits of marriage and the downsides of singleness when the reality is there's benefits of singleness and downsides of marriage. One is not better than the other. They are just different. And I think in the church we can be especially guilty of this. I think sometimes our model of marriage is Romeo and Juliet, not Christ and the church. And the Bible comes along and says, model your marriages on Christ and the church. Not love actually, not Romeo and Juliet, not insert any rom-com here, but Christ and the church. The Bible is a love story. The story of a God and his people encapsulated in this divine marriage. Earthly marriage is an image of divine marriage, not the other way around. Divine marriage isn't just some metaphor to help us grasp our relationship with Jesus. It is a, a reality. And if anything, the marriages here on earth are a metaphor for that marriage to come. So what is marriage? Well, it's defined by God. Earthly marriage has a God-ordained structure, certain things about marriage. We sign up to the doctrine of marriage for man and woman, as it is here, wives and husbands. It's the place of sex. It's permanent. It's a place of love and care. And our relationship with Jesus also has a God-ordained structure. There's certain things about our relationship with God that God has set the kind of picture of. We're to submit to Christ as Lord. 
We're to worship him. We're to love him. We're to be loved by him. It's on his terms and not ours. So how can we shape our marriages to reflect this divine marriage? And I want to say really clearly, this isn't just for married people. Because if we're not married, how can we be encouraged by what earthly marriage teaches us about the divine marriage? How can this call to live in a way that puts Christ first be lived out by all of us? Well, Paul says, Christ is head of the church. We, as a family here, as a community of faith, as Christians across the world, say Jesus is Lord. We submit to him because he's beautiful. Not because we're forced to. Not because we have to. Not even because it's demanded and forced, but because we want to. And it says wives, in a similar way, to model a similar thing. Now, you can interpret this as you like. I'm not saying this is, you must do this. This is how Fee, my wife, and I understand it, and this is what I see, but take or leave it. Obey isn't used here, but submit. We each have a role. We'll come to the husband's role, but I think it's suggested here that the, the wife's role to submit not to obey, not blindly follow, not wait on hand and foot as we, someone might twist it to be, but submit, to trust, to have confidence in. It's a choice. It's teamwork, not domination. A wife shouldn't be a puppet, but a partner. I don't know how you decide the hardest thing in marriage which is clearly what are we going to watch on telly tonight, right? We've all been there. If we live this out, we go, what do you want to watch? What would you like for dinner? Where would you like to go for on holiday as a husband? It's not just dictated to a wife. Sometimes we disagree on what we want to watch. Have you ever had that? Fee will like one program, I'll like another. And graciously, she watches the football. She does actually say she enjoys the football. She's a very kind wife. But there's some program. Have you watched The Traitors? We were advised by The Traitors by some friends at church here, and I, I kind of liked it. But I, I wanted to watch it with Phoebe because she was really enjoying it. Submission is done in love, in a, a relationship that is a partnership. Not an abusive relationship. We have friends who, uh, the, the husband's been awful to the, the wife. Been uh, contriving behind the back and, and taking money away. And it's, it's just horrible. It's abusive. And this is not permission for abuse. This is not permission for horrible behavior. And domestic abuse is a thing in our world. Statistically, it's a thing in our church. If you need help, if you need love, if you need support and guidance, 
then do talk to someone here at church. We've got a safeguarding team. We've got people to talk. We've got people to pray with. There's websites and phone lines. Talk to a pastor this evening. If you think there's someone you know who's in an unhealthy relationship, then do talk to someone about it. Because marriage is meant to embody Christ's love for the church. And then, because this is where we come to husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Friends, Christ loves us. He really, really does. In amongst all the stuff about marriage here, we need to remember what the focus is on, and the focus is what we can learn about Jesus. He loves us. Look around this room. As a group, as people who declare Christianity is our faith, he loves us. One of the things that made me want to marry Fee, and I'm going to, I don't, I think I've told her this, but we'll see, is someone asked me a question. Well, actually, I lie. A book asked me a question, but I suppose the author asked me it vicariously. And this book said, do you want that person to flourish? Because that is your role as a husband, to love your wife and to help them to flourish. And I thought, yeah, I do. I do want that. And Christ wants us to flourish. That is his love for us. That he wants us to live in the most beautiful, amazing way we can with the eternal promise of life and hope. Friends, we have a saviour who wants us to flourish, who wants to be in this divine marriage with us. And this call on husbands in light of that doesn't sound as radical, right? The demand of wives sounds pretty controversial and, and um, radical. But I think actually, if we really consider what this is saying, the demand on husbands is bigger than that of the wives. Because it says, lay your life down as Christ did. Christ went to the cross. He took on the sin of a sinful humanity. He took the punishment that we deserve because we've strayed from God's ways. He took that upon himself. Why? Because of love. There's a verse in the Bible that said, do you know what kept Jesus on the cross? It wasn't the nails. It was joy. It was joy because he knew in his act of taking our sin on the cross, we would flourish. Husbands, that is our calling. I think that sounds pretty radical. I saw a clip of... No, I haven't got time for that. Don't worry. Ignore that. Whenever we come to something like this, where there's a call to, weigh a cert, call to live a certain way in lives, we're going to get it wrong. I get this wrong. I did this week. I spent too long at the pub. And I came home too late. I wasn't laying my life down for my wife. I wasn't living in a way that would enable her to flourish. So what do we need? We need grace. Because that is what Jesus embodies above and beyond all things. 
whether you agree with some of the thoughts about this passage, then I want to point us to this. If nothing else, we can agree that we are to live our life shaped by Jesus. It's your choice how you model it. God's not going to force you or we have free will. He's not going to control you. But I think earthly marriage from this passage should reflect our divine marriage. So husbands and wives, what are we doing to do this? Are we shaping our expectations on Romeo and Juliet or Christ and the church? And for those of us who aren't married, as well as all of us, are we submitting to each other in verse 21? Are we trusting and having confidence in each other because of our love and reverence for Jesus? Do we spend more time shaping our lives on what the world expects or what Jesus says? Because Surrey is a dangerous place to live, friends. There's a worldly expectation of success and busyness. And success and busyness are not kingdom of God values. They're Surrey values, and let's acknowledge that. Jesus calls us to be people of love and of grace and of radical laying our life down so that others might flourish. Surrey is get what you can and succeed as much as you can. Shall we be people that lay our life down? Because imagine what that would look like. Imagine a church of us here laying our lives down for others to flourish. I met a guy last year, as we finish, who had been given a year to live because of cancer. That was 10 years ago. And he works and he lives and he says, my attitude is I want to invest as much as I can into God's kingdom in this world before I die. Because I know my expiry date is soon. It could be in a few weeks' time. And I'm going to live my life completely submitted to Jesus in the most radical way I can. Because that is how God calls us to live. And I found that inspirational. Imagine if we could do that. We're going to continue in worship and in singing and prayer as the band comes up. If you'd like someone to talk to or or pray with, then do uh, find your way to our prayer corner. But shall we take a moment to come and reflect? You might want to have the passage with you. And shall we just hold some silence? And Holy Spirit, we pray, may you just highlight to our hearts what you would like us to be thinking about. Perhaps an area of our life that we need to give to you. Perhaps something from the passage. Perhaps how we are laying our lives down so that others might flourish. Friends, I'll be honest with you, it took me a lot of prayer and 
thinking and reading and study to think what to say this evening. Because so much of this stuff is, is radical in our culture. It's uncomfortable. And I hoped that the Lord would be speaking through my attempt. And I just wonder as we finish whether that spirit of being radical in this world, of conforming to the image of Jesus and not the world around us is a word for some of us here this evening. Christians throughout time and the world have been persecuted, have been hounded, arrested, killed. In fact, across the world even now, millions of Christians are persecuted for their faith. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, if Christianity became illegal in this country, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Someone presented your life to a judge and said, this person is or isn't a Christian. Would it be categorical, yes, send them to the docks, send her to the docks? Or would there be a doubt? Because I want to encourage us, we should be people sold out, living for Jesus, radically in this world. Perhaps if that's you, if, if the thought of that excites you, You might want to just stretch out your hands and receive the Spirit of God who doesn't bring timidity but brings boldness to live radically in this world. Lord, we pray for a spirit of boldness, of adventure, to live unashamedly as your disciples. And that doesn't mean cramming it down people's throats. That doesn't mean every sentence and act is a Christian thing, but it means living sold out for you. May we shape our lives, our relationships, our work, our hobbies, our inner thinking, because of you, Lord Jesus.